Welcome to Mandemonium, a podcast where I, your host, Mandy, talk to guests about their favorite works of fiction, whether that be books, movies, TV shows, or more. Today, I'll be talking to Rachel Delaney about episode two of the Netflix horror show, Midnight Mass. Welcome back. Uh, We have Rachel with us again, and we are discussing episode two of Midnight Mass. Welcome back, Rachel. Thanks for having me. Uh, So last time, we didn't actually do any sort of introduction for you. (laughs) So uh, if there's anything you want to share or say about yourself, uh, now would be the time. Uh, No, I, um, so I'm an engineer. I work with Spacecraft. It's been, it's a lot of fun. Also a nerd, lots of different fandoms that I'm into. Um, This is one that Mandy actually got me into. So (laughs) so I'm excited to talk about it with her. But yeah, that's pretty much me in a nutshell. Excellent. All right, so we're just going to dive right into episode two. Once again, all spoilers here. There are no non-spoiler moments when we're talking about Midnight Mass. Uh, If you want to know our non-spoiler thoughts... um, we love it. That's all we can tell you. Go watch the show. Uh, but this and then is, come back here and listen to us talk about it. Uh, but this is episode two of Midnight Mass entitled Psalms. Um, and this episode covers basically the time period of like uh, right at the end of the last episode where there were the cats on the beach, Ash Wednesday, and then like the second Sunday of Lent. Second Sunday of Lent? First Sunday of Lent. Is it a week after Ash Wednesday or is it the Sunday after I Ash Wednesday? I think it's the Sunday. I feel like I wrote it down in my notes. I feel like it has to be a Sunday because people weren't coming. They said second Sunday of Lent. Okay. In the episode. Uh, but once again, this is a weird little island um, because they have a festival on Ash Wednesday, which is weird. And we will get to that. So <laughs> who knows if second Sunday of Lent actually is the second Sunday of Lent or I don't know. I'm pretty sure they said that one point. I'm just saying this is a short period of time. It's like two weeks, but it's not like the shortest period of time in an episode. Right. Uh, It opens with the cats, which we as the viewer know is all related to the vampire, but the people on the island don't know what's happening. Uh, So one of the things that I thought was relevant in this whole cat section was once again, the mayor harassing the sheriff to come to church. Yeah, I, I wrote that down too, where it was just like, because he's like, oh, we would love to see you there. Not not as a convert, of course, but but just so you could be part of the community. And I'm thinking, would the mayor ever go to the mainland with the sheriff on a Friday and go to the mosque? Not as a convert, just to be, just to show solidarity with the sheriff. Like, no, like, yeah. I don't, I, I don't understand. Like, <laughs> and the other thing I don't understand about that is it's a lie. Right? Like, how many people are in church on that island? Right. Right? Like, when you see the morning mass every morning, it's literally three people. Right. right? Yeah, but that's during the week. But But Sunday mass, they even come, Bev comments on it about Ash Wednesday versus that last Sunday we see. Yeah. It's a much smaller group. Right. So when he acts like the whole community comes right, to church, right. he's lying. Like, like, there's a whole, there are lots of people in that town that don't go to mass either. And like, we never see him bugging them. And maybe he does. And we just don't see it. But I just find it really strange that he's so, I don't know, so pushy towards the, to, towards the sheriff and being like, oh no, I'm not trying to push you. But like, really, you should be there. Yes. <laughs> and it's like the sheriff does come to the actual community event in this episode, which right. is the crockpot. Mm-hmm. The sheriff is there. <laughs> like, he is part of the community. Yes, yes. And it, it's just, uh, I, I feel like there's almost a statement in this show about, like, unstated about, like, the people who pretend they aren't racist are the racist ones. And then Joe, who's, like, racist to the sheriff's face, is also the one who respects the sheriff the most. He's genuine. Yes. He's not hiding anything. <laughs> Like he keeps calling them Sharif. Like he's like to his face. To his face. But he's also the one who's like, oh no, you can search my house. You can do whatever you want. Like this is like you know, I. Yeah, at least Joe is who he seems like he is yeah. on the ten, right? Where as we learn from some other characters in later episodes, uh, 
they were definitely hiding <laughs> who they were. Uh, I don't know if they were hiding it so much as just not being honest about it. Listen, Bev is a terrible person. Yes. Uh, I'm not sure she hides it very well, but she says the right things. Usually. Usually. I guess. <laughs> we can get into it later, but I find it very interesting Like when she gets confronted, the way she just won't stop talking. <laughs> yes, I have, I have comments about that. Um, so in this episode, uh, we have more about Riley going to AA. And there's actually this like beautiful scene earlier on that juxtaposes the AA meeting with communion. And I really like that. Yeah, I, I enjoyed that scene too. Like all the, just the comparison between the two with the whole like the sinners, quote unquote, coming, looking for community and acceptance and a place where they can find accountability partners and share their struggles and everything. They're looking to better themselves. And you see like, as they're coming in, they're like, oh, welcome. I'm like, yeah, it's it's very much like a church to like the bestowing of the tokens. Like in the Catholic case, it was the, like the Eucharist that they were given. And they like, even like, the cinematography like even like replaces it with the token i'm mm-hmm. like oh you've been sober this long and like everyone's like oh yay this is great so like um even the sign of like all welcome all are welcome here and like, that is also very church-like and then the i don't know this one was might be a little controversial but the idea of checking a box for the week because like riley mm-hmm. gets his stamp his stamp which he needs for his uh parole Right. And I'm not saying all churches are like this, but I know some people can be that way. Like this is their box to check. Like, okay, I went to church this week. We're good. Like I'm good with God. Yes. Yeah. So like not, not all of them. I think like you're like devout, like. I think every church has devout people in it. Every church has people who are there to check a box. Yeah. I don't think there's any church that avoids those two groups of people. Right. So I feel like that was, you know, I know knowing Flanagan's background, like he probably was like yeah it was a checking box type of thing so i found that very interesting so the thing i was thinking about with this was sacraments and what makes a sacrament so i i grew up baptist if you know anything about baptist we don't have sacraments we don't call anything sacraments we have baptism that's about it (laughs) (laughs) Uh, we wouldn't call that a sacrament either like that's not a word baptists use like we don't use sacraments right Uh, you know um and then you know you have like the generally accepted most christians accept as a sacrament like communion even though people view it differently right mm-hmm. uh trans versus not you know but it's still everyone believes communion's a thing you should do and then you have some denominations that take things like marriage to be a sacrament and others say that that's not a sacrament it's just something you can do right mm-hmm. it doesn't make it not a covenant but it's not a sacrament yeah. right and i was thinking like Maybe we have like personal sacraments, maybe like AA for people who are alcoholics, like that is like an actual sacrament for them, like a holy experience, like something God expects of them in some place they go to meet God. Right. So I'm like, I don't know. I was just thinking like, maybe, you know, we try, we try to make up rules on top of the Bible. Right. So we say like, there's a certain number of sacraments, blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. And then we argue about them, but it's like, maybe for some people there are extra sacraments, like things they have to do that are sacred that God requires of them, you know, as part of the journey. And it's just like, maybe this is like a sacrament for Riley. Mm-hmm. Right. So I don't know. I'm just philosophizing, musing, <laughs> just musing about sacraments as a Baptist who had none growing up. We, uh, we didn't even do Lent. Like we didn't do Ash Wednesday. Like Baptists don't do any of that. Like mm-hmm. you do Easter. That's it. And Christmas. Christmas. You do Palm Sunday because everyone needs an excuse to beat their brother with a palm branch. Did you do uh, Advent? I mean, you have Christmas time, but there's no Advent wreath. Like, there's no, like, reading. Like, it's just like, at Christmas, you get Christmassy sermons and you sing Christmassy songs. <laughs> yeah, because I grew up in an evangelical free church. And we did have an Advent, but it wasn't like any, like, I don't know. It was mostly like a family was chosen for each um each uh i just like blanked on the word each sunday you know each service there we go each service a family was chosen and there was like a little wreath with a candle in the middle and they had four like pillar candles and they would read like a little like mini blurb about 
um, something leading up to Christmas, and then they'd light a candle and you'd sit down. And it was always like a really big deal if you got chosen. My church now does that. Mm-hmm. They're a Presbyterian church. So the Advent wreath. But no, the Baptist church does not. I'm not going to say every Baptist church doesn't do the Advent wreath because obviously Baptists like to pretend that they're all independent little things within. They're the first. All of them are the first. (laughs) (laughs) They're all the first Baptist church of every town they're in. (laughs) I I loved this church, so I'm not making fun of it. I used to go to a church that was second Ponce de Leon Baptist church. And it's not because they were the first Ponce de Leon Baptist Church. It's because the second Baptist Church and Ponce de Leon Baptist Church became the same uh-huh. Baptist Church. So their name became Second Ponce de Leon Baptist Church. Uh, we just called it Second Ponce. But uh, yeah, Baptist churches. I, I mean, that, that's a different rant about how Baptists like to pretend they're independent and then we'll kick you out of the convention if you don't align with them. It's a weird... Uh, it's a weird thing. Uh, it's like, hmm, but uh, they're not Baptist in this, so we no. don't we don't have to argue about that. <laughs> um, we get a lot of good conversations in this episode, yeah, uh, and I think a lot of them point to what is going to happen. Like, so Pruitt and Lisa have this conversation early on where she like asks, like, where would you come from? Like, why are you here? And he doesn't really answer it because obviously he can't. Right. Where were you before this? Here. (laughs) Like, oh, yeah, I grew up here, and uh, then I went to the Holy Land and became young again and came back. (laughs) Spoiler alert. (laughs) He he gives a a very, like, God answer that's like, uh, you know, it's not about where we come from. It's about where we're going and everything we experienced is God putting us on the path of where we're supposed to be. And because he's a pastor, he brings it back to, like, Lisa and her situation because she's in a wheelchair. And I was just like, A, that's a very good answer. B, it's a very, like, liar answer if you're trying to hide something. <laughs> well, we already discussed in the last episode how good of a liar he is. So he just, like, this is what he always has done his pretty much his entire life, probably. So, like, he's gotten very, very good at, like, at seeing things. And some things, like, I noticed in a later conversation, like, some things aren't a lie that he says. But given the context, true. yeah, given the context, like he, you can understand how the person he's talking to would interpret it. But like what he's saying, you're like, wait, no, no. I mean, you're not wrong, but like that's not <laughs> that's not how he's going to interpret it. Which is like good on your part, I guess. But I, I kind of very, very calculating in how I, he lies. Yeah, I mean. he's very calculating. That's what it comes back to, right? Because like when I view his conversation with Lisa, like when you view it from the lens of the end and when I view all of these conversations, it's with the end in mind, right? Mm-hmm. Of where is this show going? It's just like when he talks about how God gives us things put into the path so we're in the right place. I'm like, none of that's wrong. But in the light of like where this show is going, it's just all part of like, he really believes this whole vampire thing is of God. Yeah. Like. And he sees, like, he has a vision of what is going to happen. And how this is going to restore the community and whatnot. And so everything he says is in that connotation. Yes. Yes. Which, I mean, this is skipping ahead, but going right to that, (laughs) going to the Ash Wednesday sermon, (laughs) right? So once again, there is nothing on the surface wrong with this Ash Wednesday sermon, Mm -hmm. right? He talks about like, you know, repentance, the point of Ash Wednesday is to point to Easter. It's all about resurrection. This is all stuff that all Christians believe. Like no one's going to listen to this and be like, oh my gosh. You know, he talks about this all out of context. Why are you saying this? Like, no, it's not even that. No. Yeah. It's like, he talks about, uh, I, God makes us whole. We're all heading to Easter. Um, you know, that, uh, who were Jesus's first disciples? They were fishermen. What are you guys? You're fishermen. Like, you know, this is all relevant. It's all part of it. But in light of the end, it's just like super insidious what he's setting up here. Mm -hmm. Right. He's taking the faith they know and he's, emphasizing and laying groundwork for the twist he's going to bring at the end to take them down to his cult. 
But I guess the question is, does he act, because I think he actually legitimately believes that this is God's providence. Like, this, this vampire is God's providence. So it's like, I don't, I don't know if he's like, he's not being like Bev would be like. I'm no, I don't think it's evil. No. I think he's just, mis, he's very misguided. Yeah. And, and the, the things that I keep thinking about in this sermon, you know, one of the points of me and Rachel talking about this show is like, well, we can delve into the theology and where we disagree with it and how he's twisting things is once again, on surface, nothing he says is wrong per se, but you know, when we talk about God making you whole, like it's very clear that what he's trying to sell to the community is God will restore your community to where it once was Mm -hmm. that he's going to take us back in time. Like not literally, but like, He's going, like, what you remember this community being like, you know, 10, 20 years ago, it's going to be like that again and better, you know? And it's just like, when we talk about God making us whole, we mean spiritually. Right. We don't mean physically. Like, most people do not expect to be healed physically by God, which isn't to say that God doesn't heal people, Mm -hmm. but what the Bible promises us... (laughs) is like spiritual perfection in the end and wholeness through God. Well, and I think that's what Lisa sees. Like she never expects to walk again. She's accepted that, but she goes to church every day, not because she believes there's going to be a miracle. She goes to church because she wants to be spiritually whole. And you can, you can see that like with her being there every weekday and every weekend, like, and even when spoiler at the end, when he's like, get up, come here. Like, come and get it. And she's like, no, I'm not going to like, that's not why I'm here. Right. I'm here to be close to God. I'm here to be made spiritually whole. I'm not here to walk. I'm not, I'm not going to walk. I'm here for this other reason. So yeah, I don't know where I was going with that, but (laughs) But it's really right. It's this idea of wholeness. And so, um, I, I had warned you that I was going to bring up prosperity gospel, right? <laughs> uh, so I feel like this is, one, this is why prosperity gospel is insidious. And two, that's what he's selling them at the end of the day, right? Like, it's that if God loves you, he will make you healthy and wealthy, right? If you are God's chosen people, you will be healthy and wealthy. That is prosperity gospel, right? And he's kind of selling that to them, right? Like he's being like, we're going to be restored. The community is going to be whole again. And by whole, I mean like he's going to fill your nets. And I don't mean your metaphorical nets. I mean your your actual, your nets. actual nets, right? And then he knows he's bringing good health to all of them. Mm-hmm. Like, and that's what people want to hear. Like that's why, I mean, Americans, we're super susceptible to prosperity gospel. I feel like just because... The American dream and prosperity gospel kind of, they go so nicely together. (laughs) But it's like one of the themes of the whole show is that suffering happens, right? Right. Uh, And I I don't know. I just feel like he's setting them up for this, like, I I mean, it's almost like you're a fisherman. Jesus' first disciples are fishermen. It's almost like God loves fishermen best, so he's going to take care of you. And I'm like, I'm not sure that's what we should take away <laughs> from Jesus' BFFs being fishermen, that God loves fishermen best. Like, I don't, I don't know. I don't know. I mean, so, like, I can read the verse that he, he uses. I'll read it in, I'll just read what I have. So uh, he quotes Psalm 60, verse 1. He says, oh, God, you have... He says, rejected us, but the version I was reading says, cast us off. You have broken us down. You have been displeased, although he says angry with us. And it says, oh, restore us again. And like everybody in the room is like, like Aaron's crying, like she's tearing up. Although I don't think hers is like the health and wealth thing. I think hers, like she just wants to be restored. Like she wants, she's on the repentance path. Yes, right. right. And so when she's like, yes, God will restore, like, he will make me whole again. Like, and I don't think it's like a physical whole. Cause she's, she's already physically whole. Right. Like she has her baby, like things are looking great, but she was like, yes, this is what God has done. Like I went down this path. I was in this bad relationship. I had this horrible mother, like, and now I'm here. And then like, God is restoring me. And this is so great. And so like, you can see her like tearing up the, the townspeople are all like, Oh yes, this is, 
But like, I think they have the same view as Father Pruitt, or I guess Father Paul or whatever. They have the same view of like, God is going, like he's been displeased. He's broken us down. That's what this oil spill was. That's what like all these people leaving is or whatever. Like this is, that was God just breaking us down. And now that's right. He's going to restore us because that's what God does. He's going to restore the community. And I don't, I don't know if wealth is really like, I'm sure so I, I don't mean wealth yeah, yeah, yeah. and being like millionaires. I right. Mean, like, but I think like, I think that everyone has that like nostalgia. Like we all have it. It's like, Oh, like in the nineties, everything was great. We didn't have to worry about it. Like, I think they have this, like back in the golden days of Crockett Island, like we were all a big community. Everything was perfect before the oil still came and took away our jobs and took away all the fish. Like, I think they're all wanting those golden years, which probably, probably weren't as good as they think it is, but now that never is, <laughs> but now that they're like not in squalor, but now they're in a dying community, like they're having wonderful visions of what it used to be like. And I think that's what they want. I'm like, yes, restore this to us, Lord, restore this to us. Preach it. Father, Father Paul, like, you know, and, I mean, directly related to that, right? Uh, So Father Paul at the potluck, when he's talking to Riley, he says, there is a season for everything, right? Mm -hmm. And, you know, that's quoting Ecclesiastes uh, 1, I think. It's, uh, you know, there's a time and a season for everything, a time to live, a time to die, a time to love, a time to war, blah, 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 right? Uh, it's very beautiful, except in the context of Ecclesiastes, it's very depressing. Because uh, <laughs> Ecclesiastes is, in fact, the most depressing book yes. of the Bible. Um, the moral of Ecclesiastes is life sucks and then you die. Uh, but Father Paul doesn't actually believe there is a season for everything. Like, when you get down to it, he's trying to bring back a season that's gone. Mm-hmm. And that's what he's selling to them. And that's what he sold to himself. Mm-hmm. And Millie calls him out on it at the very end. I mean, yeah. we're not there yet, but she's like, she reminds him like, it is our time to die. Mm-hmm. And it is the children's time to take over. But because Paul tries to keep his season, what he ends up doing is killing his daughter. Mm-hmm. Right. Because you cannot jump the natural order. There is a season for everything. His mm-hmm. season is over but he doesn't want to let go. Mm -mm. And so he can say this one platitude to Riley. Oh, there's a time and a season for everything. He doesn't mean it. He thinks this is like a new spring. (laughs) Yeah. He thinks this is a new spring. Exactly. Like it's like he was, his life, you know, was in winter and now it's in spring again, but it's like, no, the spring of your life is not in fact your life. It is your children's. Mm -hmm. That is the new birth. Not you. Mm Mm-hmm. Like, not even Jesus got resurrected to live a whole new life on earth. Right. Like, that's just not, that's not, (laughs) nobody in the Bible works like that. Nobody gets rewound, right? People get brought back from the dead and they get to keep living from where they are. Yeah. Jesus doesn't even get to do that. Poor guy. He's God. It's fine. We don't pity him. Uh, uh, you know, Jesus got to stay around for like, what, 40 days? Yeah, and then and God was like, like you're done. <laughs> Peace, y'all. Go out. Do things. Go do things. I'm done here. Peace <laughs> out. Uh, but all the other people who were brought back to life, they just kept living. Father Paul's trying to rewind the clock. Mm-hmm. And he breaks everything. I don't know. That was very jumpy around. Yeah. But if there's a lot of... There's a lot of... <laughs> I, this is the episode that if you watched episode one and you were like, eh, this is the episode that'll tell you whether you're going to like the show or not. I yeah. Really. <laughs> yeah. There's a lot of setting up going on in the first few episodes. But. Yes. Um, so going back to Ash Wednesday, remember you're dust and to dust you will return. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's a callback to Genesis. Uh, it's a real thing. We, a lot of people do on Ash Wednesday. Um, and, uh, though I, there was something interesting in the sermon where he conflated the cross and the dust on the forehead to like sin. And I was like, I'm not sure that's what that means. He was like, we wear this on our head, like to show everyone. And I was like, mm. I, I mean, I'm not Catholic. So once again, I, I would like the, remember your dust and your dust you'll return is not supposed to be a reminder of sin. It's supposed to be a reminder of mortality Mm -hmm. right like which i mean theoretically we're mortal because of sin 
you know, you could make that, you could make that connection and argument, but I, I don't think that's the intent of Ash Wednesday. Like, <laughs> I, I don't think it's supposed to be like, you're wearing this scarlet letter, this mark of your sin, you know, to remind you of your sin. I think it's supposed to be like, uh, you know, me- memory, what? memento mori, remember your death. Yeah. Right. Like keep everything in, in context of your life. But I don't know. That was just weird. I was like, I'm not sure this is about sin. This is where we need a Catholic. <laughs> Any Catholics out there who want to point us in the right direction about this, uh, you can find me on Twitter. Uh, so uh, then they go have a Ash Wednesday potluck, which I may not be Catholic, but I know that that's wrong. Yeah, that seems very weird. Like, <laughs> it's like having a barbecue on like Good Friday or something. Like You're supposed to have <gasps> your potluck on Mardi Gras. Right, the day before. I may not be Catholic, but I grew up in the area of the country where you get time off of school for Mardi Gras. So, but like, so I find it interesting because Bev like is bragging to the sheriff about how they took over this. Like, they had a spring potluck, and then the church came in, and they were like, "Oh, yep, we have like they did. We have a holiday. Yeah, they did what I hear a lot about, like." what happened with Christmas and Easter and everything. Although Easter, like there's a reason why Easter is where it is. And it's not, it doesn't have anything to do with Christmas. We totally just straight up. Yeah. So like, she like, (laughs) it's very, very Christmas. Like where she's like, Oh, well they had a festival. And uh, when the church came in, we like, we made it into what it is now. Like we can't have these pagan Americans having a spring festival. Yeah, but she's she's very proud of what they've done or whatever. So I'm like, but I do find it weird. Like you couldn't have it a day earlier. Like have your little fancy party. Well, I find it odd that a town's spring festival would be on a weekday normally anyway. So it feels like the church would have moved it to a weekday. You think Bev moved it? Like I wonder if Bev moved it. I don't know because because I say Father Pruitt, they mentioned this twice, coined the term. Crockpot, which I was like, we just use the word coined way too much in like a couple of seasons. I don't think anyone uses the word coined that much in everyday life. So I feel like it predates Bev, but Bev is the kind of person to claim everything the church has done as her own accomplishment. That's that's fair. Like Bev's the kind of person who's going to be like, you know, we invented hospitals, right? (laughs) It's like, okay, Bev, you were not there. (laughs) Just basically me. Basically, you know. If I, I was there, it would have been me. It would have been me. <laughs> like, okay, Bev, you cannot claim uh, everything. Uh, yeah. She, she's the kind of person who would be like, you know, the church was at the forefront of the civil rights movement, right? Or we, she would say we, you know, yeah. we. Yeah. Like, Bev, you were not there. You were not like, old enough. <laughs> <laughs> she was the one like, we did this. It was a good thing. And if it's a bad thing, it's like, you did this. Yes. Like, I did nothing. Also, never, she's never going to be the one to point out that the church was on both sides of the civil rights movement. <laughs> no, no. What? What? She doesn't strike me as someone who necessarily care about civil rights, though. So, like... You're, you are correct. I, I'm just using that as, like, a more modern example than uh, we created by, hospitals. Judging but... by the way she treats Ali, like... <laughs> No, she would not care. <laughs> I, I do know the Catholic Church likes to claim they invented hospitals. Uh, may, may be true. I'm not going to, you know, contest that. Uh, but uh, she would be the kind of person who thinks she did it. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, uh, yeah, uh, at the potluck, there's a lot of character set up, right? We get that... Uh, um, I just forgot Mrs. Dudley's name in the show. Sarah. Sarah. <laughs> we learned that Sarah, Sarah is gay yes. uh, and that the priest always stared at her growing up and she thought it was because she was gay, even though the priest couldn't have known she was gay. But when you're a little kid, you think, you know, priests and pastors can, can see into your yes. soul. Yes. <laughs> yep. uh, we learned that she would like to leave the island, but because of her mom's Alzheimer's, she's going to stay there till her mom dies. Mm-hmm. She doesn't want to take her away. Right. We get more Riley and the priest. Uh, we get more lies. This is where I was, this is where I made the note of like, this, like what he said doesn't technically lie. Like when he tells 
Riley, because Riley asks about Father Pruitt because he thinks he saw him on the beach, and like Father Paulson is like, oh, well, I hate to tell you this, but Father Pruitt isn't going anywhere, like the condition that he's in right now. And I was like, that's not wrong. Like that is like he is not planning on leaving. Like he is he is on the island. He is happy with where he is. He has a plan for the island. He is not leaving. So that was not technically a lie. But the way Riley heard that. Yes. Like, <laughs> no, like. Father Prue knew what he was doing. Yes. He's, he's like. Very calculating, as yeah, I said. <laughs> yeah. It's like when people talk about like, you know, fairies not being able to lie, you yeah. know, but that doesn't mean they're telling you the truth. Mm-hmm. That's Father Pruitt. I mean, he does straight up lie and point to that conversation because he's like, no, no, I was talking to Father Pruitt Last on night. his landline. Yeah. It's like, <laughs> from his hospital room, like, <laughs> he, he's not going anywhere in his condition. Like, no, no, no. This is where they also bring up Father Pruitt doing an AA meeting for Riley. And Father Pruitt really, like, sells it hard to Riley. And... I know he's trying to do a good thing. Like, I don't want to take that away. Like, Pruitt really thinks that he is the person who can help Riley. Because he's that kind of, I'm going to say narcissist. Who, you know, he's not like a clinical narcissist. No. But, like, it's like he has been the one who has helped Riley his whole life. Yeah, well, I think he loves Riley. He loves Riley. He's going to help him. And he's like, I'm going to save you a whole day from going to the mainland. Think about how we need this here. You and I are going to help the community, Riley. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, okay, none of that's untrue. But the thing I was thinking about is just like how much that isolates Riley from his actual community and right. people he needs. Right. Like, just one on one with Father Pruitt is not going to help him. Father Pruitt, who's not an alcoholic. What I like, one of the things about AA is your mentors and those types of people are alcoholics. Like, they've been there, they're ahead of you on the journey. Mm-hmm. right so you have like they know they've been there right so when you call them with a struggle they know they know right like instead of going to a priest who as far as we can tell has never struggled with alcoholism he's uh, had yeah. other struggles yeah 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 <laughs> this is true but you but, know i mean i feel like it's also like if you want to do the whole like comparing aa with church like the reason, one of the reasons why you go to church is to be around other believers and yes. to fellowship with them, and like to like so that you're all sharing each other's burdens and you're all there for each other. Like that's why I think a lot of people struggled during COVID because yeah, you're watching church on TV, like you and the pastor are like vibing or whatever, <laughs> but like you're not with other like you're not with other Christians, and so and I know for me personally that was very hard. But, like, it's the same with Riley. Like, the reason why he goes to AA is not because he wants to hear from, like, the speaker that day. He goes to AA to be with other alcoholics who can help him and commiserate with him and build him up or whatever. So, I don't know. It's another comparison that they didn't really mention. Or they they kind of show it, but, like, it's not as as in the forefront. Yeah, it's not on the nose. Mm -hmm. Right. But I think it's there. Right. Like, And it's just... Like, Riley was already super isolated from being in jail. And now he's isolated on this island. And you took his one other community, right, where he was, like, getting out and he would have been able to be plugged in with another group. And that, tell, just, that show him that there's a future. Yes. Because right now he's dealing with hopelessness. Mm-hmm. He sees no future. And that is not something I don't believe Father Pruitt was ever going to be able to help him with that. Right. But he thinks he can. Yes. Because he thinks he can fix everything. Mm-hmm. He thinks he has special connection to God and to the community, and that <laughs> it's a cult, uh, <laughs> and that through vampirism he will bring the answers. He can bring hope to everyone, you know, because your alcohol addiction will be meaningless in the face of your blood addiction. <laughs> <laughs> there are worse things, Riley. There are worse things. <laughs> uh, you can always combat an alcohol addiction with heroin, you know? Um, just not heroin's probably not the answer, um, you know? <laughs> yeah. The potluck. The dog dies. Yeah. I, like, I think it's funny how, like, uh, Lanigan kind of sits with this, like, Okay, it's like um, not really like a clue thing. I guess it is kind of like a clue, but like who did it? He like kind of introduces like the the suspects. So you have like the Scarboroughs there, and they're kind of like 
like leery eyed at Joe and is like, mm. it's like, okay, so obviously they don't like him. Makes sense. He shot their daughter. Like all of their struggles is because of this like drunk guy and this like stupid dog or whatever. So they're like, ooh, okay, so there's some like beef there. And then it also like shows Bev who has already, it's already been established. She doesn't like the dog either. Cause it broke her. Snapped. 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 <laughs> <laughs> She's over there like glaring at him too. And so you're just like, oh, who could it have been? Like there are so many people that don't like this guy. And I mean. It was definitely Bev. Oh yeah. <laughs> I love how Aaron like sighed. It's like, oh, he was poisoned. And like Aaron like side eyes her like. Hmm. Who was recently Who was messing this? with the poison? <laughs> Could it have been Bev? It is. The, <laughs> the pattern of the dress of the person, like, giving the hot dog to the dog is clearly Bev. But. <laughs> and, I mean, to skip ahead, but to finish out this Bev thing, when the sheriff confronts her about it. Yeah. It's so, like, I feel like this is just so characteristic of Bev's ca- character. Sorry, that's... <laughs> Too many uses of the word characteristic. But she, like, does that thing where she talks too much to talk circles around you to get the moral high ground. Yeah. Like, to be like, oh, I would feel so bad if you're telling me that the fact that I put poison out to kill whatever was killing the rat or the cats. uh, If that dog got into it. (gasps) That would be, that would be horrible. And then she also, like, she does this weird thing where, like, it's like she like runs out of steam. Like she loses like her train of thought. She's like, "Oh, you wouldn't like accuse me of that, would would you? Are you sure? Are you, <laughs> would you say that like about me? Like she? I don't know. It's like she's like, I've lost my train of thought, but I need to keep talking because you won't because stop I have to. At me. I have to spin it right because." I'm good. Well, yeah. and then she does spin it. Like, she gets there, she's like, oh, no, well, anybody has access. You could come in here and poison us all. So maybe I should lock this up. Like, I'm just like, okay, so we went there. Like, but this is exactly what she'll do with scripture later in the show. Yeah, yeah. She does the exact same thing. Like, she does or sees someone do something bad, and then she back-rationalizes it. Mm-hmm. Right? This is exactly what she does this time she didn't use scripture because there is no scripture for putting out poison for animals i don't i don't know no i don't i don't think there is. i don't really have any defense for that i mean i don't think there's anything in the bible one way or the other I'm pretty sure you can kill raccoons i i don't <laughs> just don't torture them to death right yeah, yeah. like <laughs> uh no animal cruelty uh is i would say god frowns on like flaying squirrels in your yard right yeah, like yeah. but like if raccoons are getting into your trash and you put out a raccoon trap. But I mean, this is like a lot of like just introducing the nuances of these characters. So like she's got that. It's like, so here we see what she does when she's accused of doing something wrong and how, like how she reacts to that. Uh, Going back to like the dog thing, this is really subtle. And I noticed it this time was like when Sarah tells Joe, well, maybe it was just an unfortunate accident. The camera goes to the Scarboroughs yes. who like flinch. Like yes. they and so you and then he like flinches because he saw their reaction. Well, because he says accident yeah. and then sees their reaction. Because you know that what happened when he shot Lisa. He said it was an he said it was an accident. Yeah. Which it could have been. I don't think he was trying I don't think he was I, aiming for I think a he child. was drunk and he was just out shooting. Yeah, and she happened to be in the way. Like yes. I do think it was He probably missed whatever he was aiming for because he was drunk her. and yeah. shot her. Yeah, but, like, you get that, like, back and forth where it's, like, okay, you see how this eats him alive all the time. That's, honestly, that's probably why he drinks now, just to forget that. But, like, it was just, like, a little detail that I'm, like, the first few times I watched it, I was, like, oh, okay, yeah, like, they're showing the reaction of the crowd. But I was, like, no, they're showing the reaction of them, so he could see their reaction to that. And it will... Like, once again, this is developing his character. So later on, you see, like, when there's that wonderful scene between him and Lisa, you can see, like, how this has eaten him up. So little details that all end up adding to this. Yep. Yeah, it's beautiful. It's beautiful. <laughs> lots of lots of groundwork that Flanagan lays down, and I just, I love it. <laughs> um, so then uh, we kind of skip ahead to, like, the next day. Riley's helping out on the boat 
with his um, family, well, his brother and his dad. Um, family. While well, his mom's at mass, which mm-hmm. is relevant because you, they ju- like they juxtapose like them being on the boats. There's like a hymn playing, and then there's the mass right where Bev is like funny how when all the ashes are handed out and now the pews are empty, you know, whatever it is, she, it's something like yeah, that. Yeah, I have, they're like, how does, how does Monsignor Pruitt tolerate her? How does he tolerate her? <laughs> a. And then B, this is a fishing community. These guys are working while they're in mass. Mm-hmm. What does she expect them to do? It's like, if anything, they could have a mass at like two o'clock in the morning so that they could go or to mass. Or they could have an then... afternoon mass. Yeah. Like, I'm sure you're authorized you to start to the day with it, Mandy. Like, <laughs> you must come here first. We have to have midnight mass every day. Uh, I mean, they're going to get there. It's a show called Midnight Mass. Yes. yes. Uh, but, <laughs> but yeah, I'm just like, you can't really be mad at these men for doing their job like instead of being a mess like that's ridiculous yeah we also see in this episode uh people getting better yeah Uh, annie doesn't need her glasses to sell anymore yeah my notes were uh annie has a spider-man moment yeah (laughs) (laughs) that is very that is very true uh she does the toby mcguire glasses thing where it's like wait i see better without my glasses this is weird (laughs) (laughs) um and then uh i always wonder like she pricks her finger and then she like sucks it and then she like looks and i'm always like is she thinking that tastes good like every time that's what i think (laughs) i don't know i hadn't thought about that that's probably true i also feel like She's the first one who shows improvement because she's going more. She goes every day. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But her husband, his back is getting better because Riley goes to grab the uh, crab cage thing. thing. Uh, (laughs) Trap. Trap. I don't know what we call it. And uh, (laughs) he's like, no, no, dad, let me help you. You're back. And he's like, no, no, I got it. Right. So people are getting better because dad goes to service every Sunday. Yeah. Sorry, Ed. Yes, yes, we found out in this episode his name is Ed. I think this is like the fifth time going through this series, and I just realized that's what his name is the whole time. I've just been calling him Riley's dad. (laughs) So he goes every Sunday, whereas uh, Annie and Lisa go every day, Mm -hmm. right? So that's why they have a more rapid change Mm -hmm. than uh, everybody else. Not all the changes are for the good. Um, so we get a little more Joe in here with the sheriff, uh, when, uh, the sheriff, after he talks to Bev, comes to Joe, um, and Bowl is there, which isn't his real name, but no, I don't know his real name. I want to say it's like Bill or something. It's something similar to Bowl. We'll find out later. We'll find out when we get to that episode. His mom, like, gets really mad that that's his nickname. So yeah. And I just, you know, like... Bull and Joe are, like, outcasts in the society, right? And so they, like, treat each other like real people. Yeah. Uh, but, uh... Well, I think Joe treats everyone, like... Like... Mm-hmm. Yeah. But Bull, I think, is very, like... Like, shields up, arrows out type of thing. Like, uh-uh. Like, you are not gonna mess with me. Like, because his, his response to the sheriff is just very, like... Hostile. Yeah. Very belligerent. <laughs> Granted, he is a drug dealer. Yeah. So, you know. Joe's like, calm down. Like, <laughs> He's like, the sheriff can see whatever he wants on my property. But I'm not going to say sheriff because that would be nice. It's a little bit racist. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, so. Like, without a sense of humor or like a really bad sense of I can't remember what he said. There's an F word in there. Uh, yeah, no, I, I wrote it down. Uh, not his fault he was born so wolf woefully unfunny and oh, i think there, there is go. an f word in there somewhere but yes. <laughs> <laughs> and i i the way he says it too yeah like it's delivery. like it's so perfect <laughs> <laughs> um but yeah and, and this just sets up later in the episode when bull dies um Guys, don't, it, go into don't go into a decrepit house where you hear your voice come out of the house. Because best case scenario, someone's trying to play a trick on you, right? Yeah, yeah no, none of this is good. I have this in like capital letters at the bottom of my notes. Like, do not go into the abandoned house that you hear your voice coming out of. Like, no good is going to come of this. Just run. Get out of here. 
burn the house down later maybe I like I don't know come back in the daylight with some matches you know? <laughs> which you know if anyone had ever gone into that house at any point in the show it would have blown the whole thing yeah because those bodies in there yeah the whole time yeah like we see that when Lisa and Warren go mm-hmm. in there in the very end like but they ignore that ab- like because there's so many abandoned houses yeah at this point but it's just like that house had to be smelling bad yeah I don't know probably cats Cats. <laughs> um, right. So then I uh, we have the actual AA meeting uh, with Father Pruitt, and uh, I think I honestly think this is my favorite scene, like or not scene, but my favorite conversation in the whole series, because I just I love the representation. Like those are both. Like, Riley's reasoning for why he doesn't believe anymore. Like, I've heard that lots of times by several people who have experienced bad things. And I just thought it was very well captured in that conversation. But then I also really loved Father Pruitt's response to it. Because I think he does adequately capture, like, how Christians view suffering. And I I, I kind of mentioned it in the Hugo's There podcast that... Like, in most, like, movies with a sort of bias, like, whether it's a Christian bias or a humanist bias or whatever, like, they always portray the other side as not being competent. Yes. Like, so, like, in, like, Christian ones, it's like, oh, yeah, the atheist. Well, they're just stupid. They're stupid straw men. Yeah, they're, they're stupid and prideful and, like... They just, they just don't want to be under anybody's authority, and that's why they don't believe. And it's like, no, like, Riley has some legitimate, like, problem. Like, he has, he he can't live with the fact that he killed someone. And he's like, God can't exist because this is a bad thing that happened. It's a bad thing that I experienced. It's a bad thing this family experienced. It's a bad thing Tara Beth experienced. How could a loving God allow this to happen? And I'm like, that's, that is a valid question. Like, same with Father Pruitt. So, like, from a humanist standpoint, when they show Christians is like, oh, they're just naive, and they can't, they don't really have critical thinking skills, and, like, they can't explain things, like, really well. They're just gonna be like, hey, yay. And they just make them look very unintelligent. But, like, Father Pruitt's response, I think, was a really good representation of how Christians view suffering. And how God uses suffering to mold us into the person he wants us to become if we're following him. So I just, like, I watch it, like, the first time I saw it, I'm like, this is, this is brilliant. I love it. Like, I don't think either of them, like, convinced each other of the other thing. But they got both views out there really well articulated. And, like, I just, I love watching it. Every single time, I'm just, like, enamored by the whole exchange between them and the cinematography is good because like yes like i love how like they always show like the other person on the opposite side of the screen so like father pruitt i think is on he's on the right side of the screen whenever riley talks he's on the left side of the screen like riley like when they do the side stuff he's more on the left side when father pruitt talks he's on the right side so like it never like you never get tired of watching it but like they're having a conversation even though they're not always on the screen together but you can tell like they are talking to each other even with the camera angles the way they are i just i love it like chef's kiss (laughs) and there's so many good quotes like i wrote a lot of them down and uh we can watch so many people just slip into these bottomless pits of awful and we can stand it and we can tolerate it because we can say God works in mysterious ways. Mm-hmm. And Riley's not wrong. Like we've all seen Christians who do that. Mm-hmm. You know, they're like, well, it's not my problem. God works in mysterious ways. It's you a know? way of like, and he's like, it's a way of just sloughing it off. Like, yeah. this isn't, I don't need to care about this. You know, and then Father Pruitt's like, nowhere in the scripture does it say that God like countermands personal accountability. You know, right. and it's like, you have free will, like, and the fact that we have free will sucks. I mean, yeah. it's good, but it, it sucks. sucks. Like, but like, I mean, I was having a discussion like this with a coworker, like earlier in the week about how important free will is. I'm like, God didn't create us to be robots. Like, there's no point in like 
having a robot like say i love you i love you it's like yeah but it's a thing i just made it say i love you like you have to have free will in order to have like that capability to love and this is the anti-calvinist <laughs> podcast uh, coming to you uh, from albuquerque uh, but i mean ultimately like that is my problem with calvinism right and ultimately what pruitt and riley are arguing about what a lot of these things come down to is the character of god right because Riley is saying God is monstrous, right? Because he this, allows because he happen. allows this to happen, and Pruitt is saying, but God allows us freedom, right? Right, like, along with the ability to love is the ability to do a lot of horrible things, so. right? Like, <laughs> like you, you just God gave you the ability to go out there and make choices, you know, like when you let your child leave your house, you're letting your child go out there and make choices, and they may do something horrible. Mm-hmm. But you got to let them go. Right. Like, you know, are Annie and Ed to blame for Riley killing someone? You know, it's all related. Like, like if you think of God as like a parent, right? Like all of these things. And it's such a good conversation. The other thing I thought about looking at this conversation from a vampire perspective (laughs) is just like when Riley talks about there was someone inside of him that there was, he was like, he said, there's a saboteur inside of me. Um, I thought he wouldn't hurt me because uh, I'm the person who feeds him. Mm-hmm. But then he kills someone. Mm-hmm. I killed someone. Yeah. And I'm like, this is yeah. that's what Father Pruitt hasn't learned. Mm-hmm. That's what Riley has learned that Father Pruitt has not. And this is why when Riley becomes a vampire, he reacts very differently. Exactly. Because Father Pruitt is still feeding the saboteur. Literally. Right, yeah. Like, and he thinks he would never hurt me. Like, I gave him clothes. <laughs> yeah. Like, I brought him to this new place. This is of God. Like, we are in an understanding. I brought him to a new place. Like, and he would never he hurt me. He has a house me. now. He has a ha- He can just walk on the beach. <laughs> Eat all the cats he wants. Uh, People sometimes. Like, it's, this is great. He would never, he would never double cross me. He would never hurt me. Like, yeah. And then Riley says, you know, one morning I woke up and I discovered he killed someone. Mm-hmm. I killed someone. Right. And I'm like, for Father Pruitt, that moment doesn't happen until Easter. Right. Like things go wrong before that, but because of Bev and other reasons, he's able to rationalize it. But mm-hmm. it's Easter after he wakes up from healing that that's his, I killed someone. Mm-hmm. Right. Because he, the vampire is the alcoholism. Yeah. Right? Like, the vampire is a force of nature. We can't blame him. Right? We can blame Father Pruitt. Like. Lots of symbolism. Oh, there's so much symbolism. <laughs> it is such a good, like, I, people should just watch this conversation. Yeah. <laughs> if you watch nothing else, uh, this conversation is amazing. And I, and I just wanted to say related uh, to suffering. I listened to a book by um, Kate Bowler, uh, who is a woman who was a Christian uh, she's a, she's a professor at Duke or Vanderbilt, someplace like that. And uh, she got diagnosed with cancer, uh, terminal, the type four, whatever it's stage called, four. stage four cancer when she was 35. Um, and, uh, she ended up beating it. She had to go through a lot of like, uh, treatments and stuff. And she talks about how, like, she never felt closer to God than when she was undergoing like the chemotherapy and like, she can't even describe it, but it's like, it's like this prompt, like what I think that people like Riley miss sometimes is not that there's a promise that we won't suffer or that God's causing the suffering or that suffering makes us better. It's that God promises when we suffer, he will be there with us. And Jesus suffered. So we know that God actually knows what it feels like mm-hmm. to suffer. We don't have a God who's just like patting you on the back, like, you'll be okay, kid. <laughs> like, <laughs> I have no idea what this feels like, you know, like a husband saying, you can do it to During a wife going through labor, right? <laughs> like, he has no idea. No, no, Jesus suffered, right? And so I, I think that's, you know, God's not doesn't always promise to heal you. doesn't always promise to bring you out of it, but he promises to be there with you. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I think that's, you know, part of what it means to be a Christian. And that's why prosperity gospel is a lie. Cause sometimes you do suffer and die. Mm-hmm. So did Jesus famously. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, all right, but moving on, <laughs> um, we get to the, I wrote in my notes that it is the second Sunday of Lent. <laughs> okay. Okay. 
Uh, and everyone's coming in. Uh, not as many people as for Ash Wednesday. That, that, as that moves. <laughs> but uh, Lisa goes by Father Pruitt. And it's very clear that he notices yeah, something. He like senses something. His spidey senses tingle. Yes. <laughs> and then Bev uh, has a reading that she's doing that's Psalm, Psalm 27, 27. Uh, which is completely irrelevant, it feels like. <laughs> but I find it interesting. So I looked it up in my Bible and it said, like, the heading was an exuberant declaration of faith. And, like, I did some research on it, too, that um, it's, like, according to the, uh, it's just off Wikipedia, so take it with a grain of salt or whatever. But according to a new Catholic commentary of Holy Scripture, it says the first poem of which Psalm 27 is comprised is an expression of confidence that God will bring help and devotion to the temple. Which I feel like is why Flanagan has, like, so this is a common hymn that is, that is, or, like, responsive reading as she i think that's what she calls it but i feel like so it's not weird to hear it no in the church or whatever but like if if father pruitt had told Bev to read this like i feel like there's still that whole like this is faith this is faith that you'll restore and rebirth and renew us like this is my faith and my confidence that you are here and you're at work type of thing and so i feel like that's why flanagan like yeah this is a good hymn to like put in there and have yeah have him read it's very Romans, if God is for us, who can be against us? Yes. Right? Mm-hmm. It's like, God's for me, so all my enemies will just crumble and go to dust and, you now, know. whom shall I be afraid? Right. Yeah. And, and we were kind of talking off the line before that, like, it's really hard to take Psalms out of context because the context almost doesn't matter. Right? Like, Psalms are really, like, hymns. Yeah. And sometimes they do. Like, there's sometimes we're like, okay, I see David was experiencing this and that's why he wrote but, you know, So you can kind of like commiserate with him or whatever. It's, I mean, when <laughs> it's at the end of the day, no one, even the most literalist person reading the Bible thinks the Psalms are meant to be taken literally, right? Mm-hmm. They're meant to be taken as like poems. Yes. Right. That describe emotions and feelings about God like they're like people's prayers. It's like we gathered people's prayers and songs and we put them in there. So very few people outside the Catholic church circa 1500 is like the earth doesn't move because Psalm says the earth is centered in its firmament, you know, or I mean, there's some people that think that today too. So we're not going to go into very that. few people, you know, <laughs> so like the Psalms are meant to be taken as encouragement or like as, uh, um, you know, there are Psalms of despair and I always find those Psalms to actually be encouraging. Cause you can be like, people have always experienced these kinds mm-hmm. of emotions. Right. And it's not weird to feel like God isn't there. Right. right. Someone was experiencing this in 1000 BC. Yeah. Right. Like, so it's very hard to take them out of context. And yet, you know, sometimes some people manage to do it. And if someone's going to figure it out, it's going to be Beth. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes. But I don't know this reading it doesn't feel inappropriate for Easter. It's weird, maybe. Like, I feel like at Easter, I wouldn't be pulling out a lot of psalms. I'd be focusing on, like, Jesus. I don't I don't know. But I don't know how the Catholic... Maybe, maybe Catholics. Uh, I think there's, like, a three-year cycle in the liturgy of which uh, uh, readings they yeah. have. Uh, and the intent is to, like, get through the whole Bible in three years. Because you have to remember the Catholic Church, like, goes back to a time period when people didn't have Bibles. So, you know, it's kind of like a cyclical, like, remember, these things are in here. So now, so, oh, that's, I had forgotten that we had kind of talked about that in the Hugo's There podcast. But, um, so then that makes it even more, like... He may not have chosen it. Yeah, he might not have chosen it. It might have been a complete coincidence that that was the one that was being read, which I'm sure Pruitt read into. Like, yes, see, God is showing me, like, he's confirming to me that this is the right way, the right path that we're on. Like, so that, that adds a whole nother, like, perspective yeah. to it. Because it's very, like, no one should stand in your way. God's going to clear the path. Yeah. Like, everything's, you are going to, God's there for you. Yeah. In your vampirism. Yes. He is not there for you in your vampirism. I'm just. <laughs> She's <The> cult. Being... <laughs> yeah. Cult. Cult. <laughs> So, and then, of course, it ends with the healing of Lisa. (sighs) (laughs) 
<laughs> uh, you know, he's offering uh, the, the body, not uh, uh, the blood. Because I feel like a lot of the other episodes emphasize the blood mm-hmm. for obvious reasons. Yeah. But for once, it's the body because it's something he hands you. Yeah. Right? Uh, and uh, he makes her walk. He goes up on the stairs. And everyone in the church is like, <gasps> what's the matter with you? Like, I feel like I would have had an even stronger reaction. Like, I would have been like, like, they're just like, kind of like, gasping. a strong reaction to most of the things that happened in that church. So. We all know that I cannot uh, contain myself. So, uh, yeah. But she does get up and walk. And that's how it ends with everybody being like, what? <laughs> And that's like the first big like clue. Yeah, something has been going on. Right, because you you're like, does he have the power to heal her? Like, what's happening here? And we'll discuss that more in the next episode. Like, what I originally thought what was happening versus what was actually happening. But yeah, yeah. Episode two, Psalms, and they use the psalm in Psalms. Hmm. Mm. It's almost like Flanagan thought about these things. Yeah. I think he had a lot. He put a lot of thought into this. Just I'm like, what was he thinking here? <laughs> Why would he do that? Why would he do this? Like, Yeah. I mean, I really like episode two. It might be one of my favorite episodes of the whole show. Like, it's really good. Mm-hmm. Um, there's just so much in there. Like, there's so much setting up, and yet it's not boring. Right. Like, like I don't feel like the pacing was off or anything. Like, it all seems to flow really nicely. There is a lot of conversations. I mean, the whole show is a lot of, like, people talking. There's not a whole lot of action, but, like, I'm not bored watching it. Mm-mm. It's really good. Any other ending thoughts on episode two? Uh, not really. Just, I guess, reiterating, if you hear your own voice come out of a abandoned building, don't, don't go, go in. in. <sighs> I feel like <laughs> we have watched horror shows, and people in horror shows have never watched horror shows. Right, right. So, um... Yeah, don't go into the abandoned building. No. Ever. No. Mm-mm. I guess, okay, one more thing. Go ahead. <laughs> I feel like this also brings a lot of the themes of, like, there are things that, like, things are not good or bad. There are lots of stuff that are not good or bad. And I think that goes back to that conversation. They were talking about alcohol. Yeah, yeah. like, alcohol. But, like, I, I also appreciated Flanagan's, like, take on this. Who's, like, alcohol is not inherently bad. But people who misuse it, like, that's what makes it bad. Or, like, religion Religion is not inherently bad, which I think is refreshing for a horror, like, piece or whatever. That religion is not inherently bad, but people who misuse it make it bad. Like, all grief and suffering is not inherently bad, but how we react to it is what makes it, like, that. it's what makes it bad. And so, like, that's a theme throughout the series, but I feel like this episode really captured that. They kind of be a little more on the nose about it. So, yeah, that's, like, my takeaway from the episode. Yeah. I mean, I will say that the things that cause suffering are oftentimes bad, but like Riley killing that girl. Yeah, that was was bad. Right. The family is suffering because a bad thing happened. Right. But God can use the suffering. And it's not that God needed the bad thing to happen. Like, I feel like that's where people get like, yeah, like wrapped around the axle. Right. Right. Like, it's not about God needing the bad thing to happen. It's that something bad happened to you. He used it. So he's going to use that to as fodder for something else. Right. Right. Like he would have preferred the bad thing not happen to you either. Right. <laughs> like, you know. You made a choice. But something happened. Either you made a choice, someone made a choice, or just, you know, we live in a broken, broken world filled of illness. Mm-hmm. Right. Like, you know, sometimes you get polio and you're in a wheelchair like FDR. Like things happen. Um, yeah. You know, we live in a, a world, a fallen, world. a fallen world. Yes. So yeah. Suffering is definitely a theme. So, but I think that's all we have for today and we will be back eventually with the next episode. So of midnight mass. Hi. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Thanks, everyone, and thank you, Rachel. Thanks for having me. This has been fun. (laughs) 
hope you enjoyed this episode and that you will join us again next month on November 15th when I'll be joined by none other than my husband, Trevor Self. We'll be discussing the Apple TV dystopian show Silo along with the series of short stories it's based on. While collectively these short stories by Hugh Howie are known as Wool, it's a little confusing as that is also the name of the first short story. So for clarity, we'll be discussing Wool, Wool, Proper Gauge, Wool, Casting Off, Wool, The Unraveling, and Wool, The Stranded, all by Hugh Howie. Some of these short stories do go beyond where Silo Season 1 ends, and we will have appropriate spoiler warnings in the episode. But if you are wanting to read the story but not get spoiled by the possible storyline of Season 2, I suggest reading through the third story, casting off, and then stopping. Thank you for listening to Mandemonium. You can find me, Mandy, on Twitter at Brown underscore Aja. That's A-J-A-H. You can also find the podcast on Twitter at Mandemonium Pod. And we also have a podcast Facebook page. Theme music for this podcast was created by Skips a Beat Music. Thank you so much for listening, and we hope you come back next time. Bye.